0: So before we observe communion together, I'd like to take a look at a story that comes out of Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 through 9. Would you turn there with me? Numbers chapter 21, page 178, if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you. We've actually been studying the life of Moses here on Sunday mornings, and this is another story that comes out of his life. Perhaps one that you've never heard before. Numbers chapter 21. Father, we ask your blessing upon the teaching of your word. We gather at your table to remember what you've done, the sacrifice that you made. And Lord, I want to thank you for the the pictures of salvation that are included in, in your word, both Old Testament and New. How they make it so clear. And I thank you, Lord, for the picture you provide in our text this morning. Bless our time together, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Numbers chapter 21, the nation of Israel has been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. They're coming to the end of a long journey. The first generation that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. Remember, they basically refused to go into the promised land. They didn't have the faith. So we don't want to go in, and God said, fine, you can Wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, which they did, and they died. But here in chapter 21, the next generation. And they're just getting ready to go into the promised land. And it's been such a long journey, and they're so close, they can taste it. But look what happens in verse 4. It says, then they journeyed from Mount Or." By the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So these people have a very sour mood here in this chapter. The language is very strong. They became very discouraged. It's the Hebrew word kasar which means short quick-tempered, they're cranky, they're bummed out. And the soul of all the people, everybody's upset. Why? Well, they've just faced a delay. Here they were about to get into the promised land, but verse 4 says now they have to go around the land of Edom. The Edomites will not let them through. And so they go back the opposite direction. They almost go back to where they start. So here they are. They got a straight line in. They can't go straight up. So they actually go back, circle around, and go way up and around. And the journey that they would take would be on rougher terrain. So they're bombed out. It's been 40 years. We're so close. And now we have to go back. You know, I remember driving in to El Paso from Dallas on one of my trips. Boy, that is a tough drive about eight or nine hours, depending on how heavy your foot is, right? But I remember coming in after a long drive, and I got here into El Paso. I'm so close. And then there was this massive traffic jam on I-10 way in the back east. Couldn't get off. I sat on that highway for an hour and a half. Terry was short-tempered. <laughs> I was upset. It was a bomb. bummer to, to to have. And I think that's kind of what The nation is experiencing here. And we also know that they had, um, they were very emotional in this chapter. Because in Numbers chapter 20, they just lost Miriam, who died, and they also lost one of their most beloved leaders, Aaron, the high priest of Israel. They loved Aaron, they mourned his death for 30 days. So there's a lot going on. And you can understand why they're upset. But they took it too far. They sinned in it. They got real nasty. Look what they said in verse 5. And the people spoke against God. And against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, this is ugly behavior. This is sinful behavior. This is ugly language. It says they spoke against God. They're rebelling against God. And here they're using a phrase... That the older generation used to use all the time. Did you bring us out of Egypt just to die? We should have stayed in Egypt. Why did you bring us out into this wilderness to die? And then they say, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. We don't have a staple diet. All we have is this worthless bread that we detest. Now, what bread are they talking about? Manna. God's supernatural provision for his people for 40 years. Bread from heaven. They're calling what God has miraculously provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness, they're calling it junk. Language is very strong. This bread is worthless. Our soul, ooh, we detest it. Now that's a very serious thing when you call the blessings of God in your life junk. And that's what they've done. So this is a grievous sin. This is the new generation starting to act just like the old generation. And so God is not going to permit this. God comes down really, really heavy on his people. Look at verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. God sent an infestation of slithering, deadly, fiery serpents into the camp into the tents, all over the place. Man, snakes creep me out. Just like Indiana Jones, I hate snakes. Remember that movie? They're deadly snakes. They bite and their poison has the potential to kill. Now, it says fiery serpents. Fiery is the Hebrew word. It's real interesting. Seraphim. Seraphim. Seraphim in Hebrew means the burning ones. And it speaks of those angelic creatures around the throne room of God in heaven. Here it's not speaking of the appearance of these snakes. It's speaking of the burning pain that their poisonous venom caused in the bodies. These snakes would bite. Terrible burning pain, inflammation that proved fatal for many. So the people are being bit. And they're awaiting death from this poisonous venom. Terrible judgment. Now question, why snakes? Why did God use snakes in this judgment? Was this random? Was this God thinking to himself, I've never used snakes before to judge my people. No, this was calculated. This was symbolic. The serpent, if you remember, is a symbol of Egypt. The serpent was the symbol of Pharaoh's royal authority. His ceremonial headdress was crested with a fierce female cobra that second generation said, we should have stayed in egypt we should have stayed we never should have gone god essentially is saying to him so you like egypt let me remind you of what it was like in egypt let me send some egyptian serpents into your camp there was a purpose to this and everyone in part of that camp and a part of that sin would have seen that connection. My brother and sister in Christ, shooting it straight with you like we always do here, as a Christian, you're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through terrible seasons in this life. There are going to be times where things happen in your life where you get upset. And I, you can't help it. You, need to get, you get upset, but don't sin. Like the Israelites did. Don't get ugly and rebellious towards God. And don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back into the world. Now, that's what the enemy will do the real serpent, the enemy. When you're going through a hard time, a lot of times the enemy comes along and says, Hey, remember how great you had it in the world? Remember how carefree? Remember all the laughs, all the parties? All the fun people. Remember how good you had it? Listen, Satan always tries to give you a case of selective memory disorder. He says, Remember how you had it so good in the world. No, no, no. Don't forget the brokenness, don't forget the hangovers, don't forget the guilt, don't forget the despair. Don't forget the agony in the world associated with you. Try everything that this world has to offer and it leaves you empty. Now don't go back to Egypt. You stay put. You stay close to the Lord and don't complain in a sinful way. Keep praising him and thanking him. So this was a very serious... Sin and it was a very serious judgment. And in verse 7, the people reacted appropriately. Verse 7 therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now that is genuine repentance. This is a people that are now broken. They don't make any excuses. They say, we've sinned. We spoke against God. We spoke against you, Moses. And I see sorrow. I see a desire to return. So Moses prays for them. And look at the remedy that God gives Moses. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. And set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent. He lived. Isn't that wild? God. God. says, Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent. I I want you to make an image of that which is biting the people. Put it on a pole. Put it on a banner. Lift it high. Carry it throughout the community. And if people look to it, they'll be healed. If they don't, they'll die. And so Moses did it. He made this serpent out of bronze, put it up on a pole, on a banner, took it out. All of the serpents left. And everyone who was bitten, who just simply looked, were healed. And this was an amazing miracle in the life Of the Israelite people. According to Jewish tradition, this was the last and the worst of Israel's apostasies in the wilderness. This is the last time they'll ever say, We need to go back to Egypt. Here is where they learned their lesson. They won't complain like this ever again. You know, it's been said it took one night for God to get his people out of Egypt on that Passover night. But it takes God 40 years to get Egypt out of his people. Finally, that has happened. There's been a real change. Okay, so there's the story. It's an incredible story. Only six verses. A lot of Christians probably have never even heard this story. Maybe you came here this morning... And this is the first time you're ever hearing this story. It is very obscure. But did you know that this story is the basis for the most famous verse in the Bible? What's the most famous verse in the Bible? Come on. Did you say John 3.16? For God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're right. That is the most well-known Bible verse. It's on billboards. People hold it on signs when they're at sporting events. You remember the guy with the rainbow hair? And he always had the sign that said John 3.16. John 3.16 is everywhere. It's all over the place. Everyone in the church, lots of people out of the church... Have heard of this verse. Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And understand that Jesus spoke those words on the basis of this story in Numbers. Let me put up the two verses that go right before John 3.16. You ready? Jesus speaking. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man, Be lifted up. So the numbers story gives you a picture of the gospel message. As crystal clear as you can get. In that story, the people were bitten by fiery snakes. The Bible teaches that the human race has been bitten by a dangerous fiery snake. In the Garden of Eden, way back, Satan came in the form of a serpent and deceived mankind. And mankind bit the temptation, that offer that Satan gave, and they fell into sin. And everyone in the human race is born with that sinful nature. In the story in Numbers, it seems like some of the people got bit, but in in the story of real life, Everyone has been bit. The imagery is so clear. We've all been bit by the serpent. We all have the poisonous venom of sin running through our veins. Every single one of us. And it's slowly destroying and killing. Sin is why there are so many problems within the human race. Sin is why there's death. Sin is what separates us from the God who loves us. In that story, Moses was told to put up a substitute image, so to speak. Put it up and raise it high. In the gospel message, Jesus has been lifted up. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lifted up on a cross is the remedy. Question. Again, I alluded to it earlier. Why would God command Moses to make the image a fiery serpent? In the likeness of the fiery serpents that are biting them. Well, it's an illustration. It's a powerful illustration. It's a picture of what Jesus would do for us at the cross. Jesus at the cross took upon himself that which was killing us. Sin. Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21... For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be what? Sin. For us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless, innocent, sinless Lamb of God, became sin for you. Took your sin upon himself. Romans 8. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Jesus did that for you. Now at a communion service like this, we think of the crucifixion of Jesus. And a lot of times people think of the physical pain and suffering. And he suffered physically, but nothing compared to the spiritual suffering. All my garbage was placed on him. All your garbage was placed upon him. He took it. And he died in our place. And he took the punishment that we deserved. In the story in Numbers, how did the people who had been bitten by the snakes, how did, they, how did they get healed? Did they go find some doctors? Did they go find some religious people to help? Did they ignore the problem? One thing, look to that serpent. Just look to it and be healed. And that is the exact same principle that happens in the Christian faith. Salvation comes by simply looking unto Jesus for salvation. Recognizing what he's done for you. Placing your faith. And trust in him. And it's always been that. It's never been any different. I love what the Lord says in Isaiah 45 verse 22. Look to me, he says, and be saved. All you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Look to me. Look to me, God says, and be saved. Same way. We've all been bitten. We all have the poison of sin. A remedy has been sent. Jesus has been sent. And how do you get healed? You put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And he will heal you. He's the only antidote. Let's say you were out there hiking somewhere. You're somewhere off the beaten trail. You get bit. You get bit by a poisonous snake. What are your options What are you going to do? Are you going to be all macho like they were in those old western shows? Get a knife out, cut, suck the venom out, spit it on the... No, that's not going to work. That's Hollywood. That's not real life. If you ever find yourself in a situation like that, two tools you need. Keys to a car or a cell phone. You get yourself in your car and you get yourself to an emergency room as soon as possible. Or If you can't do that, you call for an ambulance because you need to get specific treatment. You need an antidote. You need an anti-venom treatment, not just anything. Now, gang, that is the same thing that's true for the sin problem. There's one antidote. There's only one antidote for all the virus of sin that has come from the old serpent, the devil. Jesus Christ can alone contain its ravages in our soul. His blood cleanses from all sin. There's no other way. Now be very careful. Satan loves to deceive. Satan loves to say, hey, any religion's good enough. Just pick any religion. You'll be fine. All roads lead to heaven. No, there's one way. And that's through faith. He's the only antidote. It's the only way your sins go away. It's the only way that you're saved. Satan will even invade the church. And I think he's done so over the last 2,000 years. Satan loves to make true Christianity look religious. And turn the church into a ritualistic thing. And statues and icons and rituals and all these different... A lot of people go to church and they don't even know what it all means. Satan loves to do that. You know, it's interesting, this bronze serpent. They kept it. They kept that image. And they kept it for years as a nation. In fact, they kept it hundreds of years into the future into the time where Israel became a monarchy in the promised land. We know this because Hezekiah, when he was king, he was a godly man, and he began to rid the nation of Israel from idolatry. And look what we read all the way in 2 Corinthians 18, verse 4. He, Hezekiah, removed the high places, broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nahushtan, which is snake Hebrew. Isn't that so like man? To turn something into a worthless religious relic that you burn incense to. Totally forgetting the whole point behind it. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's only through faith. It's only through faith. It's looking to Jesus. We don't worship the crucifix. The cross can't save you. It's what happened on that cross that saves you. That one look. Have you taken that look? Have you looked to Jesus? The one who died for you. And rose again that third day. Spurgeon said, to me it is especially appalling that a man should perish through willfully rejecting the divine salvation. He says, a drowning man throwing away the life belt. A poisoned man pouring the antidote upon the floor. A wounded man tearing open his wounds. Any of these is a sad sight. But what shall we say of a soul refusing its savior and choosing its own destruction? Have you chosen? Have you chosen the remedy? Have you looked to Jesus? There's no other way. I think this story in Numbers also gives us a powerful illustration of how you and I as Christians should live life. I see Moses carrying that pole with the means to salvation all over the community. And that's what you and I as Christians should be doing. Carrying our cross into our places where we work, our community. Now, I'm not talking about a real cross that'd make you look kind of strange. But you, as a man of God, a woman of God, you carry the message of the cross like a banner. Into everyone, everyone that you have a, an impact on. Proclaiming Him. Letting others know where they can find salvation through this amazing sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The communion service is another way for us to carry the cross, to raise it up high. The New Testament says that every time you partake of this ordinance, You are proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ. You're announcing. Proclaiming is the word preach. It's like we're all going to be preachers this morning in partaking. So important. The the Bible loves these pictures. The picture like of salvation there in Numbers chapter 21. But what about this? An actual piece of bread and a cup of juice that you're going to hold in your hands this morning that represent the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood at the cross and to hold it and to consider what it means and to thank him for it. Two things need to happen every time we sit together at this table. Number one, if you are not a born-again Christian, you need to become so right now by faith, looking unto him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. Secondly, if you're a born-again Christian, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, every time you sit at this table is a time for rededication. It's a time where you think through where you are in life and what are your priorities. And if this, is a, if this has been a season in your life where you've turned away from the Lord, maybe you got angry, you went back into the world, Come back come back. Maybe things are going great in your life. You're serving the Lord. Still, let this re-motivate you. Remember what Christ did for you. Remember what it's all about. I'm going to ask that our lights would go low, that we would bow our heads, close our eyes, our worship team would come up. Those who are going to help me distribute the elements, come on up. Father, what a picture you give for, what a picture you give us. How clear we've, we've all been bit. The poison of sin that destroys and yet the, the cure. So simple to understand Lord, what you did for us was, was utterly astounding and amazing. Utterly astounding. You died in our place. You be, took our sins upon yourself. You rose again that third day, and you're here to save. And we look to you, and you'll save us. If you're here this morning and you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you never look to him, please understand, there's nothing you could do to earn this. There's nothing. There's no religion you could join. There's no amount of money you could spend. You don't have to write your name on some church membership list. The only way for you to be saved is to you personally... Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for you. And I would ask you, have you done that? Have you done that? If not, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Before we partake of these elements. If that's you, just in the quietness of your heart, say, Lord, that's me. I want you. I need you. save me thank you for dying on the cross for me right now i look to you help me with your spirit Maybe you're here as a Christian and you've fallen away. It's time to come back right now. It's time to come back. Remember what he did for you. We're going to distribute these elements. There's two cups that you're going to take. The wafers in the bottom cup and the other stacked cup. Has the juice in it? Make sure you get two. Hold these elements in your hand. Think about what they mean. We'll all partake together as a body, as a corporate body. So worship the Lord. Thank him for all that he's done. And we'll partake of these together in just a few moments after everyone has received. Our Sunday morning communion services, we, uh, we try to make them real formal and reverential. A lot of reverence here. Because this is important. This is a holy moment for you to remember, for all of us together, to remember the sacrifice that was made for us, to save us. Christ has saved our lives in so many ways, hasn't he? Be reminded of his goodness, his love. And to be reminded um, of proper motivation for serving him in life. The priorities that we need to have in our lives. So take out that bread. For I also received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's all remember together. Take out that cup. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take together remembering. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I always like to think every communion, this could be the last time Jesus could come again at any time. We won't be doing communion in heaven. Just now, we proclaim his death for us. This morning, um, I want to invite you uh, we talked about in, in Numbers 21 how there was physical healing there, and it speaks of spiritual healing. But I do think physical health is important for God and that he cares about that in your life. And so if you are struggling with a physical issue, maybe you're sick or maybe you've got something very serious happening, and you'd like prayer for that. Um, I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I will ask you to stand right where you are if you want prayer for God to touch you in a healing way. Yes, right there in the back. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. I believe Jesus is here with the power to heal. So I'm going to pray for these folks. But the whole church, I want all of us to join in and pray. Okay? So let's all pray and ask the Lord to to touch. Father, we thank you for each one that has stood up. You know exactly what's wrong. You know exactly what each one is dealing with. And I pray that you would reach down from heaven and touch and heal. I pray for healing. I pray for a physical healing. ask, Lord, that you would work in their lives in a marvelous way. Lord, we pray for physical healing, but we also pray for, most importantly, that spiritual healing. Lord, whatever these folks are going through, I pray that you would use this in their lives to draw them closer to you. To make them stronger, more dependent upon you. Do your work in them and through them. And for your glory, touch them and heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's all stand and join those who are standing. We're going to close with the final song. If you don't mind, pass your cups to the center aisle and the brothers here will grab those for you. As always, if you pray to receive Jesus, or if you want prayer for any reason, we're going to be available for you right up here, right here, come forward. Let's sing this last song together.